Hello, this is Aaron Saft on the MR Running Pains podcast. With 30 years of running experience and 20 years of coaching, I thought it time to share with you things I've learned and people I've met so that you can try things for yourself and see if they help your running. Thanks for joining me. Wrote this song while crew and Aaron on a 100-mile foot race through the trails in the rain and mud. How about that? runners, fitness enthusiasts, and endurance junkies out there. Um, welcome to another episode of the MR Running Pains podcast. This is episode number 47 with uh, my good friend and physical therapist, Miriam Saloum of The Runner's Mechanic. Um, Miriam has been in previous episodes, um, dating way back to episode 11, where we just talk physical therapy and, uh, and what that is and what physical therapists can do for us. Uh, episode 17, where we talk about plantar fasciitis, we had a whole episode on the, the plantar fascia. Uh, and then episode 29, where we talk about the Achilles tendon. That brings us to today, episode, <clears throat> again, 47, um, where we're going to talk about the knee. 
um, and as such a integral joint for running things that can happen and go wrong. But man, I mean, we, we explore some boundaries I, I really didn't anticipate going into, um, such as cadence and footwear and such. So, um, really a lot that comes out of this episode, <clears throat> excuse me, the show notes are going to be um, pretty, pretty long today because Miriam had a lot of great resources. So, uh, check out the show notes for some of the links and, uh, uh, sites that we talk about during our conversation. Um, I will catch up with you guys at the end of the episode. Really appreciate you being here. And, uh, um, without further ado, uh, here's Miriam. Once again, I, I welcome my resident physical therapist and uh, multi-visiting uh, guest, Miriam Saloon, <laughs> to the uh, podcast once again from The Runner's Mechanic. I really appreciate you being here once again, ma'am. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for asking me again, Aaron. I really, I've really enjoyed doing these. Uh, it's, it's awesome that we get to, to share your knowledge. Uh, I certainly appreciate that. And then Happy New Year. Oh gosh, yes, happy year. <laughs> Catching up. <laughs> yeah, I've been starting all the podcasts with referring to the date just in case uh, something changes in the the time lapse of uh, one person listens to this. So, you and I are recording on January fourth of twenty twenty one. So, hopefully, a new year, a new start for everybody. And uh, but um, once again, thank you for for doing this. Our uh, our subject today is the knee. Um, so we're going to be talking all things, all things knee related, um, which uh, prior to the show, Mary and I were talking about, uh, we'll probably do a whole separate episode on the IT band. But one of my first questions to her uh, was, um, you know, the, the IT band can defer uh, pain to the knee area. Is that correct? Yes. Um, you know, and the IT band itself, I always recommend if, if you know someone's listening to this and, and they're wondering what the structure looks like. Um, there's great pictures online, um, but you can see the IT band. It's this massive band of fascia, and it has several slips that go into the side of the knee and the lower leg. Um, so it can refer, but it also can directly insert into the side of the knee. Um, so it is a, a knee structure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. right on. Um, and like I said, we're going to talk a whole bunch more about the IT in another <laughs> episode because I think we've all dealt with the IT band pain at, at one point and another. If, if you're a runner, you typically do feel that um, that pain. So, um, and um, so you know, the knee. If we were to talk just about the knee it's, itself, um, being such a you know an integral and, and complex joint, um, can you explain what's involved in that joint complex? Sure. Um, and I, I might dive a little bit into why it gets involved so much into running injuries. But um, for the, those of you listening, when I talk about the knee joint with my clients, I just have them uh, make kind of two fists. And if you put those fists together, I like them to think about that becoming the knee joint. Okay. So one um, arm bone and fist is the femur, which is the thigh bone, and the lower fist and, and forearm that is the tibia, the lower leg bone. Um, and those two approximate together and the structures in between them, we call those intraarticular structures of the knee. Um, so that's where we have some of our major ligaments like the ACL and PCL. Um, we also have the meniscus. If anyone's ever heard of the meniscus, uh, these are conceptually, you can think of these as two small discs, one on the inside of the joint and one on the outside of the joint, but they're still in the knee joint. Um, and then this is all surrounded by a capsule. So that actually the tibial femoral joint is the knee joint. 
And then if you think of the kneecap as almost like a hockey puck like structure, um, that's actually a sesamoid bone. A sesamoid bone is a bone that actually helps um, transfer force of tendons. And obviously the main tendon this is doing um, is the quad and the, ten and the patella tendon. So as the quad comes down, it becomes a, a tendon and then it merges into the patella, which is that hockey puck that sits on top of the knee joint. And then it continues on as the patella tendon and inserts onto a lower leg bone. So I almost, I almost have clients think of the knee as two joints, um, the joint, the tibiofemoral joint of those two big bones that have all those nice structures in the middle. And then the patellofemoral joint, the joint between the kneecap and the underlying knee joint. Um, so those are the, those are the major structures of the knee. Yeah, there's a lot going on there, man. I didn't realize the kneecap was assessment. That's interesting. Um, mm -hmm. The, uh, a, a lot of, well, not, not a lot of runners, but some runners may know of the, the sesamoids in the foot, um, you know, under the big toe there. Um, are there any other sesamoids throughout the body? Um, there's some that occur only in some people. Um, uh, let me try to think about some of the other ones that, uh, that help with some of the, the different tendons. Um, those are, there's some that occur in some people around the fibular bone. Um, I'm trying to think what that it's fairly rare. Um, okay. yeah, but the, the, the two in the each foot and then the, the kneecaps. The sesamoid under, yeah, under the big, um, under the big toe, the sesamoids are, are the major ones too. But yeah, so the, the patella has the thickest cartilage, I think also, um, in the body. So that it's, it's meant to handle a tremendous amount of force. Right. Um, it's, it's kind of how it's, how it's designed. Um, and so it's a, it's a pretty hardy, it's a pretty hardy joint. Um, the other thing about the, the knee joint to, to remember, and this is why I always, you know, like people to understand why knee pain is, is not uncommon in running. And, and also this is how we, we fix it. Um, the knee joint is, is mainly a hinge joint. So when I have my clients put their two fists together, I just have them kind of move in one direction up and down. Um, that is mainly the primary motion of the knee joint. It doesn't swivel very well. Um, but if you think about the joints above the knee and below the knee, so the hip, the hip joint is a ball and socket. So that swivels in a triplanar man manner and so does the ankle. So this poor hinge joint is kind of stuck between two swivel joints. Um, so if we're having a lot of motion above or below, the knee joint gets caught in the middle. Yeah, okay. And so what goes on um, with the knee? What's, what's some of its primary functions uh, while we're running? Yeah. Um, I think the best way to think of it is if you take your leg in your mind's eye and you make it a pogo stick. Um, so running is basically a series of hopping. Okay. Um, so when we land, we want to absorb that impact with um, these different joints we have in our lower legs. So the hip, the knee and the ankle. Um, and so that's the primary reason the, the knee is, is, a, is kind of a, a monster in our, in our running is because it does absorb a tremendous amount of, of shock. Um, and then also we transfer force through the knee as we push off. So the main job of, of all the joints in our lower legs, especially, are to absorb impact and then generate force. So just like a pogo stick. <laughs> right on. So with all that, you know, in that complex, that's, I guess, you know, <laughs> why so much can go wrong with so much force being placed on it. Um, so it begs the question, um, you know, we hear that that running can be bad for the knees. Um, is there truth in that statement? Yeah, you know, um, 
I think there definitely was, you know, kind of an old school way of of dealing with runners and in knee pain. Uh, when you when you look at a pie chart of all the different kinds of running injuries, the knee historically has taken up the biggest piece of the pie with that. Um, so I would think that's a, that you know historically has been the number one complaint that that some healthcare providers have heard is you know my my knees hurt. And, and I'm I'm talking right now about the U.S. particularly because um, I think if we look into some of these. Um, cross-cultural studies, we'll see some some different numbers there. So I'm just you know talking mainly about U.S. populations, um, and I think there definitely was you know a a, a mindset of you just need to run less or stop running um, because obviously so many runners have have knee pain. It must be bad for your knees. And and later on, they did some really nice studies where that's not really the case. Um, and actually, running when you look at some of the the bigger picture things is, is create some better health benefits that to tell someone not to take up running if they want to, because it will destroy their knees is, is not valid. Um, so no running in itself, it's not bad for your knees. And there's actually some studies that, that prove that it actually can be good for your knees um, and in moderate distances. Um, so that helps the synovial fluid move through the joint, helps feed the joint actually a little bit and helps the cartilage. The cartilage does respond well to some amount of impact. Um, so that, that is, it's a, not, it's not a truth when they, you know, say running itself is bad for your knees. Um, but I will say this, if they have studies, if you do have some, some large cartilage defects or you're starting to have, um, pretty severe degenerative effects of the knee, once that cycle is kind of already started, running can continue that cycle. Um, so that's kind of a different scenario, but for some people that do have, um, confirm imaging and symptoms of really deteriorated cartilage or a cartilage injury. Um, we do have to kind of look at some of those modifi- modification factors. Mm. Gotcha. I, you know, as I'm sure the listeners have, have heard me say I had, you know, an injury prior to UTMB, which was my knee. Um, and um, what they did do imaging and, uh, and took a look just to make sure there wasn't anything crazy going on in there. Um, and, you know, after I can you know, proudly say after 30 years of running that I do not have any cartilage damage, um, or any wearing of, or signs of wearing, uh, from, uh, from my knees. Um, so I, I'm, I'm joyous to say after 30 years <laughs> running has not destroyed my knees, not to say that I want to do it in the future, but <laughs> that's a good case in point. And, and I'm not even talking about age related change. So I don't, I don't want anyone to think to go out and, and get an x-ray and if they see any amount of, of deterioration, that that's, that's, you know, an issue. We all have age related changes um, with our cartilage, but yeah, these are, these are very special scenarios. So. Sure. Yep. Um. So, you know, you've already mentioned the, the impact forces. Um, so, um, you know, we have gone through this age um, and it's still, you know, uh, debatable. And, and, and uh, you know, I would still say a hot topic as to um, are impact forces different based on the foot strike? Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Uh... And this may be more of a, a culprit of knee pain. Um, is is the the form in overstriding? So, for for listeners, the the main definition of overstriding is that the the knee angle. So when you hit the ground, the knee angle is more straight. You know, so if you're sitting there, just kind of straighten out your knee, put your heel out, and and think of that as the position of you first landing, and that is what we kind of define as an overstriding position. And it really is because the knee angle is extended. 
Um, when the knee angle is extended, the foot is falling um, far away from the body when we're landing, and it creates a different force factor up the knee. Um, and, and I would say of, of all the different reasons that we can have anterior knee pain, that that's probably the most common that we see. Um, we also have to extend our knee a lot more when we land, when we go downhill. Um, so it's almost, so people that typically overstride, that, that's almost like running downhill all the time, which has a lot of impact. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. Um, so how does that change when, uh, we're not overstriding? So if, if our foot strike is more under us, how does that, uh, impact force change? Yeah. And so the biggest thing is for people not to think about so much, you know, I need to be a forefoot striker. I need to be a rear foot striker. Um, it's important to do what, what naturally comes to you as far as your, your footfall. Um, the big thing, though, is the knee position. So as long as the foot is landing a little bit closer under the body, the knee is more flexed when we land. Um, that creates a different force factor so that it's more vertical um, versus pushing back. And it decreases the forces that go through the knee. And also the patella is in a much better position. So that, that hockey puck that we were talking about on the front of our, on the front of our knee, the patella is in a much better position to absorb load when the knee is flexed. And that's, that's a, a big concept um, with knee pain. And there's been some, some really, um, really great studies that, that show what happens as we start to bring that foot closer to the body during, um, during the same run. Um, and how those forces are, are changed. Um, and so with impact forces, um, I, I think I was reading a book called Tread Lightly. Uh, <laughs> and it made a, a really interesting um, analogy, which you know got me thinking, and, and this will lead into the next question, that if we were to stand on a ladder and to you know jump off the ladder into sand, we would land one way. But if we were to jump off the same height and land on concrete, we would land another just based on what we're you know, going into, what the, what the body is about to you know, land down on. Um, so, you know, can the same be said for, you know, the different types of, of shoes and footwear that are out there right now? Um, you know, are, 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 I guess I would say is footwear creating um, higher impact forces in different types of shoes? Yeah. So, um, yeah, so those two, those, those are two ideas that I think are really interesting. So the first one that, that you mentioned, the first one that Aaron mentioned about landing on different surfaces, um, it comes into play obviously with runners when we talk about running on more natural surfaces like dirt or trail versus a road, you know, so a softer surface and a harder surface. Um, and the changes that our body goes goes through when we land on the surfaces are actually not on a cognitive level. We're not we don't think about the way that we run when we start to hit these surfaces. Um, but the the basic concept is if you know a runner is running on a hard surface, their joints must go go through a bigger range of motion because they have to absorb, absorb more shock and they have to be a little bit more bouncy. Okay, so the range, so the range of motion of your joints is is greater on the harder surfaces, and so like when you're talking about landing on concrete, we land and the hips, the knees, and the ankles all flex more to soften the landing. 
um, you know, we run on a softer surface, our, our body actually stiffens a little bit. So we don't need to go through that amount of range to attenuate those forces because it's a softer surface. Um, so, I mean, you typically hear from, from some runners, you know, I started running on a path or a trail because it felt a little bit, um, it didn't beat me up as much or the roads really beat me up. Um, I've had a hard week of running on the roads and I just need a little, a little bit of a break. And that's why, and they did a really interesting study where, um, they took a track and, um, uh, under the track, they actually made spots that were very stiff. And then they actually made spots that were very foamy. Um, but they, when they overlaid the track, it all looked the same. Um, and they had, um, uh, sensors on the runner's joints to kind of look and see what kind of changes And the same runner during the same run around the track made, ch- uh, changes in their, in their joint stiffness, um, almost instantly as they would run over those different parts of the track. Um, so it's really, it's really neat, um, to think that our bodies do that automatically. Um, so the surface that we run on are one, and then what you're talking about with the shoes. Yeah. I mean, they're just kind of looking into that kind of the energetics of the shoe. Um, I just listened to a great podcast by, um, Jason Torrey. He was on the clinical athlete and he was talking about, you know, updates in, um, in shoe wear, um, what's, you know, especially as we start to move into the Nikes and the 4% in these different materials, um, they're coming out with that actually respond a little bit differently. So if you think about a shoe and, and what it's made of, if you, I always tell people think about a shoe, like a trampoline. Okay. So as we, um, land into a shoe, that's when we bounce into the trampoline and then the material can bounce us back. Okay, so it can compress and then it can can um, restore. So that idea of compliance and resiliency is different in all shoes, that kind of energy return. Um, So, yeah, so we can get a shoe that has a little bit more cush that can help us with uh, to attenuate those forces a little bit more. But as far as direct correlation with um, what it does to our, our joints in the long term, we're not quite sure yet. I don't think I've seen any studies I have okay. total set, especially with like the, the, the newer, you know, 4% shoes. Mm-hmm. 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 Um, do they, have they done any studies, uh, to see if the, let's say the more stack height or the thicker a shoe, um, what type of, does that increase impact force? Um, you know, we've, we've had this, um, uh, maximal, if you will, um, you know, kind of, um, category of shoes and, you know, do we create more impact forces just because our foot doesn't, you know, feel the ground and we don't have that proprioception. So it may be searching for the ground a little bit more that more so than it would if we were in, you know, a, a more minimal shoe. Um, is there any research on that yet? Yeah. So, um, they do obviously with more cushioned shoes, we do have more of a a tendency to overstride because we can, uh, we don't really suffer the, the pain that we would in our, in our foot if we had more of a minimalist shoe, um, and try to overstride and overstride heavy. Um, so we can do that in, 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 um, uh, shoes that have a little bit more cush. Um, that's definitely a risk that we we run a bit. Um, I did read one study. I think it was with a, a Hoka maybe, but at faster speeds, we start to see um, larger changes in impact forces versus um, a non-cushioned shoe. But again, people are going to hit pretty hard because they can. I mean, they can really drive pretty hard in those shoes and not really feel it. Um, and we don't know if that's linked to injury or, or not. Okay. Um, you know, just because they don't feel it, does that have any, um, you know, lasting effect or, uh, does that have any negative effects on the body? 
we don't really know yet. We don't we know. We just we do see um, some overstriding more in the cushion shoes. And we also see a slight decrease in cadence. And I, I don't think it's been correlated or we know yet if that's in the max. We call them the maximalist shoes, you know, maximalist shoes or if that's going to be um, a, uh, an indicator for injury later on. Uh, yeah. And, you know, I should also say to, to all the listeners that, you know, I, I myself have, um, you know, maximal shoes. I have the Hoka Clifton and, um, you know, I, I wear, um, a wide range range of shoes, but, uh, we're, I'm just trying to get answers, not trying to pick on any, uh, shoe company or, or type of shoes. So, um, but, um, you know, are there any shoes that are, you know, out there, uh, any type of shoe that you would, you know, steer runners clear of, or say, be a little bit more careful with these. And that can be on both sides of the spectrum. Mm -hmm. You know, there can be too minimal for some people and there can be too maximal for some people. So, you know, it may be, you know, that it just depends on the runner. That may be the the answer, but you know, what, what, what says you? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, you know, and the one thing obviously, and I, I know you do this with your athletes that you always want them to understand is the shoe this is our only as a runner, it really is our only gear. Like, I mean, there's other gear, but it's the main piece of gear and technology. So we really get very focused on it, but we, you know, we also want to be sound, you know, so, um, you know, looking at factors like, um, you know, general health and strength and, and those things to, to be a well-rounded runner, um, is, is really the most important. And these shoes are kind of just icing on the cake. Um, so the, the first concept is what we call the comfort filter. There was a, a study done where it actually was hypothesized that a shoe that feels the best on somebody may be probably the best shoe for them, that they that people tend to gravitate towards shoes that let them run in, in the way that's most natural to them. Um, so the first question I ever ask people when I look at their shoes is, you know, how comfortable would you would you rate this, you know, on a scale from one to 10? And there's some actual um, objectives, you know, um, uh, self-reports that people can fill out on how comfortable their shoes are. So c- shoe comfort is is huge. Um, that's where we always want to kind of go first. Um, and secondly, um, there is a little bit of research that if we rotate two different pairs of shoes in, in parallel, that that might add to some variability in our running and, and, and help with our, um, our risk for injury. So I think it's always a good idea to have two shoes, two kinds of shoes that you like. Um, and, and you feel the best in. Now, when we start kind of getting into really reaching onto the, the outer um, ends of the spectrum with minimalist and maximalist, um, you know, when I have a young runner, um, and I'm talking somebody, you know, maybe 20 and, and younger, and they, they don't have any injuries, they're not really having to do anything to, to repair, they're just, they're just seeing me for performance issues, I just want to kind of make sure everything's in, in good, uh, in good working order. Um, if they're not already, if they're not running in maximalist shoes at that time, um, I tell them just find shoes that are comfortable with them and maybe not going into those realms just to try it. Um, just because, you know, they, their tendons are, are really at kind of the peak of their, of their lifetime. Um, they should, you know, their tendons are healthy. They have a good spring system. Um, what they've been doing has been working for them. Um, and I don't want to buffer their sense of their, where they're landing. Um, so I usually don't have them just investigate max, maximal shoes just for the, um, the sake of investigating that. Um, there is good research that when we talk about on the minimalist side, you know, so if someone's never done any kind of footwork, I always call it footwork and minimalist shoes. 
Um, I usually give them a transition protocol, which is very, very low mileage in anything that's that's um, uh, minimalist for them. Um, and I can send you this. There's actually a there's now actually like kind of a, um, a minimalist spectrum or, or scale that you can fill out. So if you can put in what shoe you have and then you're put in the shoe that you're looking at, it can tell you what percentage difference is that shoe. Um, so say if I go from a, a Hoka and I want to go to a, a five finger Vibram, the scale is going to give me a several percentage points difference between those shoes. And it's going to tell me how many months it's going to take me to get used to those shoes. Um, so I think that's a really neat thing to do. Um, and I can share that with you. Um, but sometimes just doing some light passes in the grass with your soft feet before a workout, um, that's one nice way to kind of work um work the feet, or if you go to a minimalist shoe, just doing very low percentage of, of, of miles in that shoe, usually 10% or below when you start. Um, and so that's, that's kind of the other thing. And, and the, another big concept is what are you wearing during the rest of your day? Um, and I, I just wrote a little article about this because heeled shoes, you know, and I'm, I'm guilty of this. I like to, to dress professionally for work and, um, a lot of times I'll, I'll just, you know, grab a, a pair of dress shoes that, that works. Um, but any kind of heeled shoe one does, uh, Dr. Uh, Kerrigan at UVA did a really nice study where any kind of heeled shoe dress shoe, men's or women's can increase torque at the knee. Um, so just, you know, you're working a normal eight to 10 hour day and these heeled shoes, you could be, um, compromising the health of, of the foot and the knee. Um, so, so really looking at what you're wearing, um, during your week, during your day, um, and not only what you're doing your, your runs in. So the big thing for shoes is comfort. Um, maybe finding a, you know two pair of shoes that you um, or two models that you really like. Um, and then you know not going to the extremes of maximalist or minimalist just for the, the sake of doing it. Um, just kind of being aware that any big change is a big change and we have to we have to accommodate for that. Right on. Um, you were talking about the, the younger runners and, um, I liked how you referred to it as the spring system. Uh, theirs is, you know, kind of at the, the height of, of, you know, of their life. But, um, for, for runners, you know, that have aged <laughs> such as myself, um, how do we continue to engage that, that spring system? You know, you, you talked about some barefoot running in the grass and such, but what are some other things that we could do to potentially keep that, you know, like kind of fine tune or even, you know, kind of try to regain some of that, that springiness in ourselves, our tigorosity, I've heard it called. <laughs> yeah you know so this is where we started speaking to like the masters runner which is a huge demographic um of runners that's me myself um because after about the third decade of life after 30 our tendons just start to change in the way that they recover um and also in the way that they recoil so i think we we spoke about this a little bit with the achilles talk um but when you know you think about tendon when we run the the big property that makes it really efficient and healthy is that when we land it stretches out but when we um push off um that's when the the tendon snaps back it has to recoil so think about that snapping rubber band um, and then as we age, that snap is not as strong. Um, and sometimes we have to do some things to, to, to help it along a little bit or to, to keep those properties of not letting it stretch out. Um, lifting is definitely one of those. Um, so we're the major tendons that we're, we're talking about, um, the Achilles tendon. The plantar fascia is considered a tendon in the recent research. 
uh, the patella tendon, the hamstring tendon. Um, these are all really big ones in, in, in running. Um, and so doing lifts, um, and they don't have to be complicated, but just with some weight, um, even one day a week to really start to add some stiffness. I know, I know it sounds weird to have a tendon that's stiff, but to add that resiliency to our tendons is, is, is really healthy. Um, you know, we can, we can start to let, you know, as far as tendons and shoe wear, we're really, again, we really haven't seen studies, um, or perspective studies I've seen, like if you wear this kind of shoe, you're not going to have this kind of tendon problem. Um, with the Achilles, you know, sometimes a stiffer shoe, um, can uh, require less work of the Achilles or plantar fascia. Um, but that's, 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 uh, that's kind of still up for debate a little bit, I think. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Um. And now, uh, getting back to the the knee, um, when we have the term runner's knee, um, you know, we, we hear that all the time. Oh, I think it's runner's knee. Um, you know, what um, <laughs> what are we describing there, or what what is that in in essence? <laughs> right, right. I, I mean, I, honestly, I think that term kind of came about because. Um, it was just such a, it was the major injury that most healthcare people were seeing. And so it was a nice little, we're just going to give it a name. It's just runners. We see somebody. Um, <laughs> but yeah, usually, usually that means pain, you know, around the knee, the front of the knee. Um, I would say a large piece of that pie is usually the patellofemoral um, pain or patellofemoral joint. Um, so any tenderness um, kind of around the kneecap, under the kneecap, um, I mean, sometimes we'll get patella tendon pain. Um, that's, that's definitely, you know, a subset, but usually it's patella femoral pain. Um, so it's when the, the kneecap has been overloaded, the joint between the kneecap and the, and the underlying knee joint has been overloaded. Is there a, um, a general way of, of treating it or is it very individualistic? It's individual, but I mean, some of the, the primary reasons, um, again, overstriding, especially on a hard surface, um, doing a lot of um, downhill that maybe your system isn't set up for. Um, so that definitely can overload the patellofemoral joint. Um, we have to also look at what people are doing, you know, during their day. Um, but those are the two, those are two training, you know, errors or two form errors that are very common for patellofemoral pain. Um, and then we have some that are more individual um, per person where maybe they load too much on the outside of the inside of the joint. Um, and that's where we start getting into the hip and knee. I'm um, sorry, the hip and the, the ankle a little bit when we start to see those those um, problems in the side to side plane. Um, sometimes it's not the knee's fault really at all. Um, and it's it's more of what's going on at the hip or the pelvis or at the ankle. Okay. Interesting. Um and how how can we make sure that the the knee stays stabilized? Um, you know, it, it sounds like from what you've been saying is that we need to make sure that you know both ends of the leg extremity needs to be the uh, you know where we get the stability. Is that kind of the sense? And you know, how do we do that? Yeah. Um, so I think if you're going to check the boxes for, for strength, um, obviously you want to make sure your, your hips are strong. Um, you can do a self-test if you want, um, just for the side to side plane. Uh, so what you do is you would do a side plank on one side and then lift the top leg. See if you can hold it between, you know, 30 to 60 seconds. 60 seconds would be wonderful. Um, and then do the other side, you know, so are you symmetrically strong side to side with that? 
Um, is do you feel like you can only hold it 15 or 20 seconds and you're really, you know, shaking like a leaf? And, and that's definitely some place that you can start to build that side to side, you know, stability, um, whether it's with that exercise or other, you know, side to side exercises. Um, there's, there's a lot of them. Um, uh, the big things too, is when you're dealing with the kind of anterior knee pain, um, you can use the same things that we talked about, um, that are the cause. So maybe, you know, if we look at the general principle, but either overstriding or a lot of downhill, you can get a metronome and try to go into one of the higher cadence ranges that what we consider normal high, which is in the high 170s to 180 steps per minute. And that'd be beats per minute on a metronome. So while you're, you're trying to improve your, your knee pain, just kind of working on those, those shorter, quicker steps. Um, and see if that helps you get to a better place while you're modifying your training, um, avoiding downhill, avoiding um, severe uphill, um, and kind of staying more, you know, on the flats or rolling, I think is, is also helpful for that. And, and speed work also can be um, something that can kind of tip the scales a little bit when you're getting better. Um, but making sure you're strong and again, in that side to side plane, um, quad strength, you know, I, I don't, I know it sounds super boring, but I I think it's a great idea to keep your quad strong, just doing a quad, quad isolated exercise, either with a band or with an, an ankle weight, um, where we're trying to keep the knee extended and making the muscle tight um, and, and focusing on that. You, you know, in the gym, we had the quad machines, but, you know, not a lot of people have access to that kind of stuff anymore. Um, but not forgetting about the quad itself. There's all kinds of different quad exercises. Um but yeah, so you know, so we can do things during our running to actually start to improve our knee pain while we're getting better, um, and then working on that side to side strength and the quad strength. I think is really helpful. Cool. Um, you had touched on the the cadence there, and um, you know I really appreciate the fact that you didn't throw out that magic number um, <laughs> that so many people get so stuck on. Um, can you touch on that for a second? Because you know, we've heard for quite some time now that, you know, we all should be striving for 180 steps per, per minute. Um, you know, you had said that, you know, try to get up into the 170s. Um, you know, can you just explain, you know, to, to folks why we're not always trying to strive for that 180? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and when I have a client, I'm talking to them about cadence, um, if it is an issue for them. And some people, it's completely not. Um, they can have knee pain and have 180 steps from it. Uh, per minute naturally. Um, but you think of it like a bell curve, you know, and so at the at the top, we have this is we call it a theoretical number 180 steps per minute. Um, and, and there is one study that found why that maybe that is that we actually have a frequency to our, our tendons and, and 100. And that's why the 180 is is especially for the Achilles tendon. Um, 180 is this number that we've kind of maybe found to be super efficient. But it's just a it's just a bell curve. So I tell people to think about that that curve, and and really, you know, we're not really super concerned about cadence as we we're in the one eighties or one seventies. But as we start to slip down that that hill, and we start to get into the lower one sixties, hundred fifties, one hundred forties, we know people are spending way too much time on the ground um, if their cadence is super low. Um, so I. I a good way to think about it is if I handed you a jump rope and I, and I had you um, jump super slow with that jump rope, you're going to be doing a lot more work to do that jump rope with that super slow um, rhythm than if I just handed it to you and asked you just to, to do a jump rope and you would naturally kind of go into a bouncing rhythm. Um, and that's because that's the way tendons work. They stretch and recoil, stretch and recoil. Um, it's, it's not a, a cognitive action. Uh, so, and, and that's also why in the beginning I 
I, I'm speaking primarily for U.S. populations because I think we definitely have a large factor. We do, we are shooed, you know, for most of our lives in our in our country, and we also walk walk on man made surfaces. So those are two factors that, and it's not bad. It's just it's just what it is, you know, in our in our technology and in, in our in our culture. Um, but I do think we get a little bit out of out of rhythm with the natural running movement because of that sometimes, you know, so we have to artificially induce it. So there has been, um, there was a really great study by Brian Heiderscheidt where he started looking at what happens when we start to increase someone's cadence, 5%, 10%. Um, And then he also looked at slowing them down 5% and 10%. Um, And it was, as we started to increase the cadence, we knew the foot starts to migrate closer to the body. We also start to get better generation of our of our glute muscles at, at better times in the gait cycle, which is really kind of exciting. Um, so I know if I'm dealing with somebody with knee pain and they're dealing with it with a fairly sluggish cadence, I can use that cadence even temporarily as a drill where maybe I can get them running a little bit during the week and not have them increase their knee pain. Um, and so sometimes it's a really successful strategy, even if it's just in the short term. Uh, to get people over the hump. Um, it does a lot of good things. And we know that from, from Brian's study. Gotcha. Um, the, uh, the 180, I think also came from, um, originally, um, Dr. Doc, Jack Daniels, um, who, you know, wrote, uh, the running formula, which, you know, a lot of runners have read and heard about, um, you know, runner's world has made it <laughs> very, uh, very popular and, and we've seen it in a number of books. Um, but what he did, he and his wife went to a number of elite marathons and they counted cadence on, you know, the front runners, which were typically, you know, African descent. Um, and they were all hitting 180 or higher. And, you know, so when he took the average amongst them, he got to that 180 number, uh, which is like where a lot of, you know, people took that number from, because, you know, we see how, how well they do in the marathon and at what cadence they do it. Um, you know, he kind of figured that must be, you know, a, a, you know, something, you know, there must be something there uh, for them to be so successful and, and to have a very similar cadence or a very similar average cadence amongst them. Um, but yes, thank you for, for kind of explaining. It doesn't necessarily need to be exactly 180. <laughs> oh, no. and, and it's important to say, you know, so, um, if you're listening at home and, and uh, you want to know what your cadence is, maybe you can look at your watch. Maybe you've had that record on your watch um, or you can just count the number of footsteps in a minute. OK, so if you go out and you just take a couple samples and you're somewhere where around 150, just to kind of make it simple. If I had somebody that was 150 steps per minute and I said, go to 180 steps per minute, it would just blow you up. Um, it's, it's too big of a change. Um, and I think that's a really good rule of thumb with anything in running. Anything that's a big change is a big a big no, no, like just know that any big change is, is not a great idea. Um, so really we're looking at maybe 7% of that. Um, so just, just add, just bump yourself up a little bit and kind of see how you feel. So if you get in your own one fifties, get into maybe the one sixties, um, and just try that at first. Um, it doesn't mean that there can't, you know, someone can't be an amazing runner. If you're, if you are a little bit low on that scale, it's just, everyone has their different bag genetically of what they bring to running. Um, so I'm just talking in terms of, of trying to um, help people get through injury and keep running without making the injury worse. Sure. Thank you. Um, and, you know, along that same line, if uh, if a person's having knee pain and, you know, they, they want to do, you know, strength training and such, are there any type of exercises that you would have them avoid um, 
you know, that may uh, inflict more, more pain or, or cause, you know, more problems. Yeah. You know, one of the things about knee pain is it's pretty self-limiting. So, um, you know, if you don't have any pain doing a partial squat, say you do squats for your exercise routine and you have no knee pain doing a partial squat, awesome. You know, you can actually load up that range as long as it's not painful. But if you go into a deep squat and you have pain at the end of that, there's no reason to ever go down into that. So obviously just avoid painful ranges with your with your lifts. Um, same thing goes as, goes for lunges and, and things like that. Now, tendon issues are a slightly different. So I'm just going to kind of set aside like patella tendon problems, patella tendinopathy until like I'm a different group there because we, we, treat, we treat tendons a little bit differently. Um, but just overall knee pain. So if I ask somebody, you know, where's your knee hurt? And they start to rubbing the front of their knee. That, and that is pretty much patellofemoral pain. Um, tendon pain is, is a little bit more specific. So yeah, so I, please continue to strengthen, just stay out of the ranges that are that are painful. Um, and that goes for your quad sets, you know, the same thing. I think strengthening the quad, it can be super helpful just staying out of painful ranges with that. And I, I think, you know, contributing to that, we should also say that, you know, form can also be, you know, essential, especially when you're doing squat or um, lunges. If we put that knee out of alignment, we risk, you know, other factors too, of even, you know, injuring the knee just because we're not in alignment. Um, so, you know, videoing yourself and making sure that you have good alignment, that that knee is staying, you know, the shin and knee stay straight up and down rather than letting it fall in you know, those are all good things to, to watch as you're exercising as well and be aware of. <laughs> um, so um, generally, um, you know, I, I think this was something that we saw uh, if we look back at like pictures from the, the eighties and nineties, we saw like so many runners wearing like double knee braces <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. In, in road races and stuff. And the marketplace has just been flooded with, uh, you know, uh, what's the, the copper fit and, you know, all of these different types of, um, braces and wraps bands and, uh, you know, compression sleeves. Um, are these at all useful and, you know, uh, what are they useful for or, you know, what would, you know, why would people buy them? Yeah. So, I mean, I think, I think the biggest one you see is probably that, that little skinny strap that you'll see under people's kneecap. Um, we call it a chopat strap. Um, and that's usually was, was primarily for, for patella tendon issues. Um, there's one that you'll see is kind of a double chopat, which is two strips or two bands. Um, so that particularly is usually for um, patella tendon problems, but I've seen it also with people that have patella femoral pain and they, they actually do, um, okay in those. Um, uh, really sometimes people gravitate towards compression cause it makes them kind of feel better. And that's what the studies show that it doesn't, you know, mechanically change the position during movement, but it does help people feel a little bit better. Um, the idea with the Chopat is that it, it decreases some of the strain on the tendon. Um, but functionally we really don't know how much that is. Um, the same thing with rock tape. Um, I'm just as happy somebody putting on some rock tape if they feel like they put, you know, there's different ways to put it on. And, and luckily, UTP has some, has some really um, easy demonstrations so people can do that themselves. So, I mean, obviously, you know, train with it, you know, put it on, make sure you've trained it before your event. But, um, but yeah, I mean, uh, rock tape shows the same, the same benefit in studies, you know, so um, if it makes you feel better, 
great. You know, I would never have someone go out there that had um, like an, a knee instability and say that you're not going to, you're not going to, and this is primarily more for like multi-directional sports, you know, if they're having like an ACL issue or something like that and say that that brace is going to prevent you from, from, you know, hurting the ACL or rupturing the ACL. It, it doesn't provide that kind of support. Um, but it does help people feel a little bit more guarded and, and feel a little bit more secure. Um, so um, if it, if it feels better to somebody, you know, that's, that's great. Cool. Uh, rock tape has their own YouTube channel. Is that correct? They do. And they have rock, and there's rock tape practitioners that have their own YouTube channel. And, and sometimes you just kind of surf around a little bit, but I usually, I usually look, there's, there's some techniques I really like and I'll just find the, the video that I, I think is demonstrated best with that. If I don't already have it for them. Yeah. Okay. I'll try to see if I can find that and put it in the, the show notes. Um, but yes, Rock Tape does have its own own YouTube. So okay. Um, and now, if one has uh, continual knee pain um, and their their form, their running form is is being compromised, um, who do you recommend they see for a diagnosis? Yeah, I mean, the first part is a really great. You know, if if somebody's running and your pain, you can tell it's altering your gait. You you definitely need to stop and and kind of regroup a little bit um, because you can obviously overload other structures. Um, I'm sure everyone's kind of <laughs> been through that before. Like, I'm just going <laughs> to break my teeth and get through this. And yeah. it was a right-sided issue and you can't stand on your left foot the next day or whatever. Um, but yeah, so, you know, really it's whoever you, you feel is a, a, someone that deals with runners every day, all day in your community. Um, sometimes that is the, uh, you know, the an orthodox or PT or a sports chiropractor, but um, it, not that it doesn't matter, but just work with, that, with somebody that works with runners um, within your community is, is a good person to start with because they can identify what structure it is because um, imaging is kind of the next step. So um, a lot of things, especially when it comes to the knee an x-ray an x-ray is probably not going to, unless you've had a traumatic event, an x-ray is probably not going to show you very much because it, we're just looking at fractures for the most part of the knee. We don't have a lot of stress injuries around the knee, uh, the lower leg, definitely. Um, but an x-ray is not going to be super helpful. Um, so it's first is identifying with a, a good orthopedic table exam, what structure is, is, is causing the issue and then kind of going from there. Thank you. Um, Miriam has always been a tremendous um, resource for myself and my family. And if she is worried that it is something more than, you know, perhaps what uh, she feels it can be handled in her office, she definitely, you know, says, I'd like you to go see such and such, you know, with my son recently, it was go see our, um, um, our, our sports um, med uh, doctor and, you know, kind of get some, some imaging and see what was going on with his, uh, his Achilles. Um, you know, with my knee, you, you said I should go, you know, get that imaged as well. And, uh, so, you know, I, it's, it's good when, um, you know, the, the people that you see, um, know their scope as well and say, you know, maybe you should have this done and, and move you on. So I certainly appreciate that as well. Um, Miriam, how can people reach you? What's your different, um, your, you have, uh, a, a billion different ways. Which, what's the best way to, to get a hold of you? <laughs> yeah. Um, so if you go to the website, therunnersmechanic.com, um, my phone number is there. You can call me. You can text me. My email is also on there, runnersmechanic at gmail.com. Um, so really any of those avenues um, are great. Um, yeah. Perfect. 
but yeah, everything's on the, on the website. Awesome. And you have your own YouTube channel too. Is that right? I do. I do. It's, it's not as prolific as most, but I do. I have, I have a little YouTube channel. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. Well, Miriam, it's always a pleasure and I really appreciate you sharing all this information with us uh, and thank you for your time. Yes, of course. Thank you for having me on air and I pre- really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you. Well, wrapping up episode number 47 here, uh, Miriam, thank you again for sharing your wealth of knowledge and uh, I appreciate it. Um, I must say, you know, it was great. Miriam, uh, when I first presented this topic to her, she asked if we could postpone, uh, you know, recording the episode, which we did. Um, She wanted to do a little further research on uh, some of the topics that we were going to go over today. So I really appreciated her taking that time and uh, and going over things and making sure that uh, we had the most uh, current research and, uh, you know, data that she could find to to talk about today. So thank you to her for for taking that extra time. Um, Man, I mean... You know, happy new year. Um, it's, <laughs> we're here in, in 2021 and, uh, supposed to race this weekend, uh, the South Mountains Marathon, uh, one of, uh, Brandon Thrower's Tanawa Adventure races. Um, and, uh, it looks like we're going to get some snow. Uh, Brandon had a, you know, a really good COVID plan, uh, trying to keep the runners safe and such. Uh, and, um, I was still on the fence of whether I wanted to go or not, whether I felt safe or not. And I mean, the weather's pushing in here. It looks like we're supposed to get some snow on Friday. So, you know, all that said, we may, uh, we may still not <laughs> race on Saturday. So, um, we'll see. I hope so. Um, one of, uh, the gentlemen who I coach, Eric Martinez will be racing. Uh, I'm excited to see what Eric can do. His fitness level is, uh, amazing right now. So, uh, I'm going to have a hard time keeping up with him. Uh, so that should be fun. Um, so anyhow, um, I got word that black canyons, uh, is going to happen out in Arizona and I had signed up, you know, with the thought that it would be great to kind of get a lay of the land as, uh, you know, as I hope to get out there for, for Cocodona in, uh, in May for the 250 miler. But, um, you know, it, all things being the way they are right now and, uh, you know, with COVID revel, levels on the rise and having to travel that far, I just decided it wasn't, you know, something that I wanted to do. And, uh, you know, they, they asked us to, uh, to be quick with our, our answers to, you know, to let people off the wait list. Um, so I didn't want to be, you know, um, delaying that. So I just, I declined that entry uh, as, as much of a bummer as that is. Um, yeah, I'm, um, <laughs> you know, I'm sad that I'm not going to go, but you know, I, I think it's, it's what's best right now and, and responsible, uh, you know, um, you know, for, uh, for the traveling part of it, um, really enjoyed, uh, the, uh, article in, uh, last month's, uh, ultra running magazine. Um, if you uh, haven't had a chance to read it, I'm not sure if I can, uh, if I can link it into the show notes, uh, if it's available. Um, but, uh, I will try to put it in the show notes, um, about the article, uh, that was written, as to, um, you know, what's, what, what happens when we have, uh, a race, um, you know, what risks are there, uh, so far as COVID goes, uh, what are they finding? Um, so I am, uh, I'm glad to, to read that report in, uh, in which, you know, the author's stating that, uh, you know, it's, it's probably, uh, one of the least risky activities that we can do. Um, based on, uh, you know, the findings thus far, of course that can change. 
Um, but you know, reading that, it makes me feel a little bit safer about, about going to a race, especially when, you know, the, the race is taking, um, precautions as many precautions as they can, uh, you know, and try to keep us safe. Ultimately it's our decision. Um, so, um, you know, I, I would like, you know, that's been in the back of my mind trying to decide whether, whether to go to, to South Mountains or not. I know I won't be able to socialize as much. Um, you know, as I said, I, I have one of the guys I coach running. I actually have multiple uh, people I coach that are running. I, I know I probably won't get to see and socialize with them as much. Um, which, you know, is, is tough, but again, you know, that's, that's, you know, the right thing uh, for the the race director to, to ask of us not to, you know, mingle and socialize and, uh, congregate. I totally understand that and respect that. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's going to be mindful for a while. Um, you know, with the ability to race, we, we do have to take on the responsibilities that are asked of us. And, uh, you know, I, I will take that seriously. I really, I, um, you know, as I see, uh, friends and, and athletes I coach that are uh, contracting COVID and, uh, the different, uh, reactions each of them has to the virus. It's, you know, it's, uh, some people it's, it's, it's not as bad. Uh, whereas others, you know, it's, I mean, they have some difficulty for a while, whether it be respiratory or whether it be heart rate. I mean, there's just, it affects us all so differently. And, uh, you know, I, with myself not being able to have the vaccine for, you know, months still, uh, it's, uh, you know, it's, I'm going to do everything I can to, to not contract it and, and not especially, um, you know, expose anybody else to it. If I do, um, my kids are going virtual again. Uh, that was, uh, what the school has changed us to. So we're, we're just going to hunker down here for, you know, a month or two and, and do what we can to be safe and keep others safe, especially our, our loved ones and friends and family. So, um, uh, you know, do what you can do your part. Uh, and hopefully we can, we can get through this quicker so that we can get back to, uh, to racing. Um, I'm not going to say normal, but, uh, uh, we can get back to, to racing and, and such. Um, aside from that, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm off my soapbox now. <laughs> um, uh, let's see. Um, coaching is, is been, oh man, amazing. I am, uh, I am taking on a new coach. As I said, his name is Thad McNeil. Um, you know, I talked about him in the previous episode. He's a, a great young man. Um, and, uh, I'm uh, just excited to to have him on board and have his enthusiasm and and share his knowledge and um, his uh, his experience with uh, with athletes we coach. Um, he's already starting his coaching. Um, I've added him to my website. So if you want to learn more about Thad, he is on mrrunningpains.com. Um, I'm going to have him introduce himself on the Facebook page. Um, so the MR Running Pains Coaching Facebook page, he'll be uh, introducing himself. So um, he's uh, he's 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 uh, more experienced with 5K to 50K. So if if that's in your wheelhouse, that's what you're looking for for a coach. Um, that might be a good option for you. Worth the conversation. Uh, his contact is uh, on the website, but it uh, is MR Running Pains Thad T H A D at Gmail dot com, and you can reach out to him. Um, I can also forward him your information if you reach out to me in any other way. Um, cause as I said, right now I'm, I'm really getting full, <laughs> um, and that capacity with, uh, the runners I have, um, I've also created, uh, individualized plans. So if you're looking for a 12 or a 16 week training plan, it's individualized. So I am writing it specifically for you. I, it's not just, um, your cookie cutter plan that I just hand out to anyone. We will have a phone conversation, kind of go off, you know, what your training is. If you're on Strava and I can kind of dig into your data and see what you've 
done um, and hear from you what's worked and what's not worked. Uh, you know, we're going to kind of create a plan individually for you. So um, basically, it's a one-time fee. We have the phone conversation. I write the plan. I send you the plan. We have a second conversation to make sure you understand something. And if questions arise, uh, you know, I'm not going to check in on you on a daily basis or follow you. This is kind of, you know, you're on your own type of thing. But if you have questions that come up, I, I, I just like any of you, please don't hesitate to reach out and ask. Um, I'll, I'll answer everything to the level I feel comfort. And uh, if I don't know the answer, I'm probably going to refer you to somebody that might be able to answer it for you. Um, so uh, take a look at that. That information is also on my website. Um, and uh, so if you're interested in a 12 or 16 week plan, uh, just let me know. And um, man, all else goes well um, here in, in uh, Western North Carolina. Um, you know, I, I do have some more exciting news to uh, to share. Um, where I'm not quite ready to uh, to put that out there yet, but um, there is more to come uh, with uh, with some really fun stuff to to share with everybody that I am super excited about. So, uh, don't mean to leave you on a cliffhanger, but um, yeah, I, I'm bursting at the seams to share it. So, uh, it's hard to to not. But anyhow, um, I hope this finds all of you safe and healthy. Um, the, uh, just as a reminder, the December and January newsletter did come out. Um, if you are not subscribed and would like to subscribe to my newsletter, I usually do it on a monthly basis, but with the holidays, I combine December and January. Um, you can go onto the website and, uh, and sign up, uh, to, uh, to get the newsletter and, um, uh, all of my old newsletters are archived on there under the contact page, contact or connect. Uh, I'm also going to add newsletter and podcast on there so it's easier to find. Uh, but they are under the contact slash connect page. Uh, so all my archived newsletters as well as all of the podcasts are archived um, under there. So um, uh, you can check those out. Um, really appreciate all the support as always. Um, please subscribe. Um, and leave a review for me helps others find it. Um, if you find a, an episode extremely helpful, if you would share that, that would be tremendous. Um, you know, as I said in my last episode, uh, I am going to get this up, um, onto uh, Patreon. So, um, if you see a donation button and you feel like you are in the place where you can donate, uh, whatever that be a dollar a month, whatever it is, it just helps me offset my costs. Um, I, you know, I do do these, uh, recordings remotely and uh, there is a, a, a fee for using that that site and hosting all of my uh, my recorded podcasts. So, um, you know, I appreciate that greatly. Um, I'm hoping to get that up this week. Um, just been behind on everything with the, the holidays and such. So, um, yeah, if you can do that, thank you so much. I really do appreciate that. Um, not necessary, obviously, but um, yeah, everything helps. And other than that, my friends... Um, I will catch you next week. Um, we uh, we'll have an episode with uh, with Thad himself uh, and talking about coaching. So we're recording that this week, and that will be our our episode for next week. So um, you know we're we're just going to go over his style of coaching, you know our philosophies on coaching, and you know what uh, you know what type of coaching is right for you if if you're even thinking about it. So um, if you have any specific questions about that, um, you know that we can go over in the episode, just reach out to me. You can uh, message me on Facebook, um, you know, hit me on Strava, um, whatever it may be, uh, you know, send me an email, uh, the contacts all through the website. So, uh, please do reach out if you have questions about coaching or anything like that, that you want us to go over during that episode. Um, appreciate you all. 
I want to say thank you once again for for listening and for uh, you know taking the time to uh, to go through this and uh, check out the show notes. Like I said, Miriam has a lot of great resources that I'm uh, I'm posting in there. So, uh, but until next time, my friends, keep running and stay healthy.